2: Throughout their 40-year career, the Mekons have always been first and foremost about musical risk-taking and freedom. I'm Greg Cott,
3: And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Members of the Mekons join us for a special acoustic performance, and we'll review the new album from Dorn Richard. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions.
2: is Sound Opinions, and uh, this week's guests are the Mekons. No hype, Jim. It, uh, it is the longest-running transcontinental punk band in, in the world. Uh, <laughs> That's true, but I don't know if there's any competition <laughs> in that field. Certainly in the top five, right? 40 years uh, formed at the height of the punk era, contemporaries of the Sex Pistols and The Clash. The Clash just came out with White Riot, These art school students from Leeds, England, say, hey, let's form a band and let's do a song and let's call it Never Been in a Riot. Right, right. (laughs) Not us. Contrarians to this day, 40 years later. Yes, they've been fighting against the man and various other things ever since. Uh, These working class roots, though, that they've spoken to really came to the fore uh, when they started performing benefit shows for the uh, British miners strike in the early 80s and then uh, exploring American country music. Here are these art punk kids from England fascinated by American country music. Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers, and doing their own twisted take on it. Fear and Whiskey, one of those landmark albums that a lot of critics heard was an import uh, mid-80s. And American critics went crazy over it. That brought the band from overseas to start touring America. And Jim, you and I have seen countless Mikon shows between us. I think that's where the real proof of this band's brilliance uh, occurs, is on that stage. Because anything can happen. They can fall flat yeah. on their face. And other nights, it is just the most brilliant thing you've ever seen. Very similar to The Replacements in some ways sure. in, in that regard.
3: Yeah, with half the band based in Chicago, half the band based in, in the U.K. still, I had to wrestle, Greg, with this because I knew about the punk roots, but now I'm a Chicago music journalist in the 90s. It's like, who are these old or aging, uh, you know, mm-hmm. English people playing country music, right? But you have to remember that that the music of the British Isles, in particularly the Scots-Irish tradition, migrated over here with American settlers uh, and and became country and Western, and then the Mekons claimed it and took it back. Um, I, I'm always sympathetic to new arrivals to the Mekons, young listeners or older listeners who've never encountered them, because where do you start? There's such a discography there. For you, it's Fear and Whiskey. I would recommend so good it hurts because when Sally Timms comes on uh, on board, and that—that's really her album. Uh, the, the magic is there.
2: There's been a revolving door lineup in some ways with this band, but uh, uh, John Langford and Tom Greenhall have been the constant. Sally Timms has been there for a long time. We had uh, half the band here uh, recently, Jim. Langford and Greenhall were in the studio with us, as well as Lou Edmonds, uh, an- another longtime member, the man of many stringed instruments. Mm. Um, he brought a Saz along with him this time, a Mediterranean stringed instrument, uh, which he played on this stripped-down, uh, performance, which harkens to their country roots. Absolutely. You know, Greg, I think
3: the issue with a band that's been together for four decades is how do they keep things fresh? They found a really unique way to record efficiently in a different way than they'd done before and to involve their fans on their latest record, existentialism. Here's first John Langford and then Tom Greenhall telling a story of how uh, being an ocean apart from one another helped birth this unusual idea.
4: Tom lives in the West Country in England, I live here in Chicago. And Tom had an idea we should make the next album just on a phone, and it should just be... <laughs> I was thinking, you, you know... What's the point The of way the music business are?
5: is, no one buys CDs or, you know, a, a, a smaller level. So, in a way, you're wasting a lot of time and money recording something over days and weeks. So why not do it as simply as possible?
2: So, that, explain the concept. You um, You went from this we're going to do this really uh, small, uh, urgent recording to expanding it to where you included people you had never well, met before. Yeah, well, that was the next phase yeah.
5: of, of the, the plan. It was all, you know, forced by e- economics. So that um, how, you, you don't make any money from this recording, so how can we make some money off the
4: recording that we're not going to make any money off? So you have
6: crowdfunding, and we decided we still, to have choir funding. <laughs>
4: Rather than just have people send us money, we offered them the chance to you know, do you wanna be on a Mekons album? And seventy five people came and then they were put through hell for some hours.
5: The people who wanted to do that had to obviously pay a small ticket price for the privilege
2: It'd of being on a <laughs> of being on a Mekons record. <laughs> yeah. I want to get this straight, Tom. So uh,
3: people paid you to yeah. make them uncomfortable the, as and harass them said, for hours.
5: Um, The mode of production determines the mode of consciousness, <laughs> and <you> that <laughs> was what this was all about.
2: <laughs> So why introduce the wild... I mean, you could have done the record in five hours with just the group, and that would have been in and it of itself an accomplishment. But you add this wild card of these 75 Well, they're, singers, they're, right? they're the people that... They're, 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 they're financing They financed the project. They
4: were singing. They were also the executive
3: producers of the record, basically. So, right. Yeah. yeah, you're missing the key there. They paid for the whole shebang.
2: Well, it's the Kickstarter with a, you know... Uh, Kickstarter and a live album rolled into one, right? It's
4: like less just straight-out begging. Yeah. Know, which we found it felt that was quite
3: uncomfortable. But I mean, such a strange concept. There's this crowdfunded chaos. What would have happened, boys, if none of these people could have sung? Well, no, I'm not that sure. That was they the close? idea. Oh, I mean, okay, all right, yeah, all right, yeah, all right. Because
5: absolutely, there's these uh, people doing things with uh, feral choirs. Yeah. Of completely untrained singers, and uh, it's all quite interesting. There's a lot of stuff going on with the idea of getting people to sing regardless of their so called ability, you know.
4: We, th- we thought of it more like sound effects, really. Than it, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, that
5: you get 50 pe- people murmuring, it sounds great.
2: But it, it, it has sort of an eerie uh, undertow. It does add an, an element of uh, atmosphere to the to the recording that's uh, very strange and surreal and kind of cool. Uh, did it work out to your expectations, the way you thought it was going to come out?
4: Um, I didn't have any expectations. I
2: kind of didn't have any,
5: yeah definite mm-hmm. preconceived idea of what it was gonna actually sound like so what it sounded like was was right we got
4: know? Tony Mamoni to record it from who was the bass player in Ubu and he's mm-hmm. got a studio in Brooklyn so he came down you know did the thing with the one microphone and you know he did a really great job we were seriously thinking it was gonna sound like it was recorded on someone's phone
2: one microphone
5: yeah we were a bit worried about the the acoustic being t- a little just making it sound a bit you know Uh, just boring or something Mm -hmm. but uh, it was really great the way it actually turned out
7: Mm -hmm.
2: No, it, it sounds wonderful um, and you, uh, being the Mekons, you're not going to play any songs from the new, the new recording, it sounds like, right? Uh, what are right you now, going uh, to play? We've
4: actually been rehearsing a couple of them yeah. to play live. But should we do one? This was called The Wasted Winds Were Blowing.
0: I dreamed a dream the other night. The wasted wasted
1: winds were blowing.
0: I dreamed a dream the other night.
2: The the wasted
0: wasted winds did blow. I dreamed I saw my own true love. The wasted Wasted winds are blowing. I dreamed. That I saw John, but the wind wind blew him away with straw and leaves all in a hand. The wasted winds are blowing The dust and sand was in her hair
2: The wasted
0: winds do blow She was here once, but now has gone The wasted winds do blow
3: Mekons, or part of them, live on Sound Opinions, We've, uh, we're in the studio with John Langford, Lou Edmonds on the Amplified Ood over there. Saz. Saz. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. And, uh, and Tom Greenhall. Um, part of the Mekons, as I said, a large lineup ever shifting through the years, 40 years of history. Where would you encourage people to start? You know, by my count, and this is, this is, this is a conservative count, 20 Mekons albums. You know, it's, it's a daunting discography. Lou, what do you tell people?
6: <laughs> I've never started. <laughs> it
5: doesn't
3: help, i well, say
6: come to a gig. <laughs> yeah, just come and see us live. Ah.
3: I you think do, so. That's, that's probably that's the right way. Yeah. 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 Well, because that's where you are at the moment, and every gig is different. Every gig yeah. is special. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. yeah,
5: I think so. I mean, it's like, how do you start with any sort of big thing that you can't just grasp in Listen. five minutes?
2: point you know you, you mentioned 40 years that's a long history and a long legacy with a lot of a lot of songs a lot of records it always seemed to me like you're always willing to play your new stuff in, in, in shows you know it's very difficult as a so-called heritage band not to be bound by your past um what has kept you out of that out of that hole that you know you're 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 obviously you, all the other have heritage her- bands <laughs> that how boring it looks well yeah, to be honest is that is that the reason the band keeps going? Because in a lot of ways, I think it has to do with the fact that the next thing is the more exciting thing to you all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely.
4: Yeah. I start, so. it was an art school. We were art students, and we were you know messing around with the idea of what it would be like to do a band because we weren't very interested in painting <laughs> at that time. <laughs> you know? I don't. I don't so. think
6: people come and see the Mekons to hear a particular song. I think they come to just see a show, and everything the Mekons does revolves around the show. Mm-hmm. And we could play anything and often we do and we don't even know what we're doing so it doesn't make any difference so if if these heritage bands they've fallen in love with the huge success that they had in yeah, the Yeah, that's the trouble. We never had any success. <laughs> so well, we, we didn't have any
5: attention, you know, in None. whenever None. it was in 85 or going through that period of time, you know, to, to sort of think of it as being heritage. Mm-hmm. And so we could do what, what we wanted. And no one's, uh, no one's going to say you can't do that. You've got to play your hits. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, we I'm, I'm sensing
3: in the recurring theme of, of be here now. The magic happens when you guys come together. The magic happens when you're on stage. You're here now. What are you going to play for us?
4: Uh, we haven't, well, we've been uh, mm-hmm. quite adventurous, I would say, yeah. because we haven't, that last one, we hadn't, that was the first time we'd ever tried to play that. Yep. So this, I don't think we ever played this.
5: We've never played
4: this. This was song. recorded in a studio in uh, Apart from 1989, the, the original uh, recording. Rock and roll
3: album. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So it's from rock and roll back in 89.
5: Did you ever hear about Cocaine Lil? She lived in Cocaine Town on a Cocaine Hill. She had a Cocaine Dog, a Cocaine Cat. They fought all night with a cocaine rat. She had cocaine hair on a cocaine head. She had a cocaine dress that was poppy red. She wore a snowbird hat and sleigh ride shoes. On her coat she wore a crimson cocaine rose. Big red chariots on the Milky Way, snakes and elephants, silver and grey, oh the cocaine blues, they make me sigh. Went to a party One cold night The way she sniffed Was sure a fright There was morphine Sue And the poppy face kid Climbing up snow ladders And down they slid Along in the morning About half past three They were all lit up like a
1: Christmas tree
5: When she got home and started for bed She took another sniff and it
2: knocked her dead
5: They laid her out in her cooking clothes they wore a snowbird hat and a crimson you'll find
2: this refrain. That is Cocaine Lil from the Mekons, live on Sound Opinions. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the Mekons and hear about their less-than-positive experience with a major label. Go to soundopinions.org for exclusive video of the Mekons acoustic set. Later, we're going to review the new record from singer Dawn Richard. That's coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. And this week, we're talking to the musical collective, The Mekons. So with a band that's been together for about 40 years, I mean, where do you start with that vast catalog? Let's talk about 1989. That's a period of the band's uh, career that they're on the brink of something like success. They were <laughs> just of. signed A&M Records. They'd made an album called The Mekons Rock and Roll, which pretty much everybody who heard it loved it. It was the best-selling album in the Mekons' career to this day, selling about 30,000 copies at the time. And uh, it elated the Mekons and their fan base, but uh, the label wasn't too thrilled. Uh, that number, 30,000, that just doesn't work for A&M Records. I'm sorry, you know? So we asked the band to talk about what happened at that crucial point in their career. Singer and guitarist John Langford stepped up first. Basically,
4: the guy who signed us left almost immediately, uh, and he had a kind of idea that, He was going to bring independence into the kind of major label marketplace and give us small budgets and control, and just so we we didn't have the kind of disasters we had of like independent distribution collapsing all the time. Right. So he was really good. We liked him. And then he left and went somewhere else because they wouldn't let him do what he wanted to do, but we were signed there. And then a bunch of accountants from L.A. came and like poked us with sticks and realized we were useless so we, we asked if we could leave and then they no, said we no, had a big fight
5: leave. and they said the next album we did was substandard
2: right right <laughs> Which was the curse of
4: the record, so they never put it out but fortunately we hadn't signed for the world we only signed for america so that album was never really released in
1: america in
2: Uh, the Curse of the Mecans could only be gotten as an import immediately after your major label debut and finale, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all in, all yeah. in one. Uh, so the reason I'm asking this about the major label experience, you've been indie, independent almost all along. And, you know, Jim and I have referred to you uh, in various incarnations, the last punk band standing, things like this. Uh, and, and people said, they're not a punk band. They don't sound like punks. And I go, well, they're more punk than any band you could name. But you did form in that era, and I think there was a spirit that informed the bands more more so than a sound. I want to ask you guys what that era meant to you in terms of your ideals and ethics when it came to making music and making art. You know, in, in terms of the way it informed the way you operate as a band.
5: I, I think there was definitely a kind of zero effect going on with with, with that time. Before punk happened, I, you know, I was obviously into music, but I never really saw it being something that I could actually do. It was only like really big bands did that, and then the, suddenly the the whole ground was raised, you know, with with what was happening with with punk and the Sex Pistols and and all of that. It suddenly kind of happened, you know, and I think it was really really important because uh, it suddenly it just gave permission for anybody and everybody to do whatever they wanted to do and it was not the whole stylization of what punk might be supposed to look like or sound like it was obviously something that happened over time
4: but i think of the bands we used to play with like the russell club in manchester tony wilson was doing these nights factory early factory nights and we'd be there with you know the slits <coughs> were there one night we were a like, gang of four but then would be that like, the human league mm-hmm. From Sheffield, Cabaret Voltaire. There was this mad electronic scene there. Then there was these other bands from Scotland, like the Scars and the, the Fire Engines. And yeah, it just—it was a very—you know—it was, it was there wasn't a sound. It was just an idea. There, was,
6: there, there wasn't any rules. And if you look at the punk scene now, I don't know. Maybe you know better than me, but it seems very formulaic. And you got to do this. You got to wear the jacket. But actually, in those days, it was. Very, very broad and open, and a lot of different things
3: going on. Well, sell sell us some Mikan's music. What are you going to play? Let's do. We'll do the last dance from the Fear and
4: Whiskey record. But actually, we'll do the version from the. What's it
3: called? The um,
5: English
4: Dancing. The English Dancing Master.
1: Dance floor's
5: nearly empty now. Everyone's gone home. We're fragmented and broken up like love affairs. And as if seeing you for the first time, something whispered, looking at you in desperation. Knowing nothing ever happens
0: I wanted to
1: say fall in love I wanted to say fall in love with me I wanted to say fall in love It'll be
5: alright You were waltzing Little frozen rivers all covered with snow
1: All fragmented
5: and broken up Oh, well, I guess it's time to go I wanted
1: to say fall in love I wanted to say fall in love Wanting to say fall in love It'll be alright So beautiful You were waltzing
5: Little frozen rivers All covered with snow All fragmented And broken up Oh well I guess It's time to go But as if seeing you For the first time Something whispered. Looking at you in desperation, knowing nothing ever
1: happens. I wanted to say fall in love. I wanted to say fall in love with me. I wanted to say fall in love. It'll be alright.
3: Last Dance by the Mekons, live on Sound Opinions. John Langford, Tom Greenhall, Lou Edmonds. Uh, it's such a treat for us to have you guys here in the studio.
2: So the the, the lineup of the Mekons has been very fluid for uh, you know decades. I've heard the band described as not so much a band but a collective. What was your conception of what the the the, the Mekons were going to be? Was it a band in your mind? Was it something that was going to uh, you know, in, incorporate these many incarnations of art and m- multimedia no, as well no. as music. I mean, it was just meant to be the opening band for the Gang of Four on a couple of gigs <laughs> in 1977.
5: It was, it was just meant to be um, very much, very sort of democratic in the sense that there was no no sort of uh, qualifications required for anything to do to do it. So you didn't have to know how to play an instrument, for example, to be able to be on stage playing an instrument. So. You know, it was very, uh, very sort of um, free in that way. So there was absolutely no concept of anything going for any further.
2: there a point where you thought uh, this is, I, I, I know there was a period there in the early 80s where it was sort of like a little nip and tuck about whether or not this was ever going to continue, and I, I just wondered how many periods there were like that in the band where you felt like, well, the Mekons really don't exist for me anymore, or was, was there always a feeling that there would be new work coming? Uh, I think from, we were
4: quite bloody minded at that point because we were sort of told the industry had kind of told us we couldn't do it anymore, and it was you know and <laughs> we didn't deserve to exist. So, mm. that, <laughs> so things like the Mekon story and then the English Dancing Master were kind of created they, almost entirely in the wilderness with no yeah, thought that they would ever hear them. The complete underground that. records with, with you know where the
5: band was just maybe three or, or four people, but and, a social grouping really, and the social so, so, network of yeah. a. Ba- 25 other people and that was it that was literally it there was no the world was that small but I was going to say initially um, I think what started it all off was the fact that after literally our first and a half gig uh, we were approached to make a, a single and that was like very strange and that was could only really have happened at, at that point in time um, in, in you know when it was all really kicking off and that whole thing from just doing this thing because we were free to do it to then suddenly putting a record out, and then suddenly the record being, you know, Tony Parsons' NME single of the week and John Peel playing it on yeah, the radio. John played it, it all, all suddenly went,
4: you know, like it Changed you know. things.
5: Immediately, we had, we had to sort of deal with all of that. And so it was a very steep sort of learning curve. And But because we came from a certain uh, place and time and ideas of what, what, what we were doing, I think it's, we've had to retain that to be able to function. And every time we've kind of lost that slightly, that's when it's gone wrong, you know, all the major label kind of
4: mm-hmm. stuff, you know. I have to say though the, the records we made on A and M were actually all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of talking I like about those records, but it was like a really distressing but, time yeah. in our lives. I think it wasn't good, sort of like morale-wise, we were kind of
3: having a really hard time. So the only thing that could kill the Mekons would be success.
4: <laughs> possibly, possibly. We were really, well, The Chicago
3: connection
5: depends what you mean t- by success, because I think we we are very successful. yeah I think Yes, in anyway. that you create in your you own know? terms
3: and enjoy the process. No, um, oh, I meant like making a, like, money, you know, stinking rotten money. I, I yeah. would. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to try. Some... I'd like to sort of see if we can resist. You You've know? got an open mind. Yeah, you'd be willing to give it a <laughs> shot. <laughs> So, you've always been proud of the heritage of the UK, Wales, England, but you love this music of America. You know, one of the twists is the increasing influence of country music and, and American music and American soul music, really. Do you still love this music? Or are you still mystified by this country the way you were when you began to fall in love with these sounds?
4: That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, you know what? Actually, I, I've been real fortunate lately just to travel a lot. Mm bump into a lot of really, you know, interesting things. So down in, I've been in Nashville a lot and New Orleans. And there's a lot going on here that's outside the outside the mainstream.
3: So it still gets
2: you excited?
4: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's still a sense of uh, regionalism uh, in, a, in America that it gets sort of rubbed out by the mainstream, and you don't notice it. But when you do travel like that, you notice that there are still these Pockets of of uh, culture that have been unaffected by that, and sometimes it takes people from overseas to come here and remind us of that. You know. Well, so I was like, going to
5: say. I mean, it's very easy if you're looking at America from a distance to just see it as this horrible corporate monster, but actually, there's so many different Americas, um, and once you get that, there's there's uh, you know, it's fascinating. I kind of see it as almost like um. Some sort of weird science fiction adventure where you get, you know, English traditional music coming here and getting mutated into something else, and then mixing with all these other things. It's, um, it's very strange in a lot of ways, but really interesting.
2: Well, I, I, it was interesting because I talked, uh, John. I think I remember talking to you uh, years ago, and something you said to me really stuck with me about the Mekons. Uh, and that was that you know you would you loved these kinds of music, and it was kind of almost a case of imitation you know i want to, we wanna play like that, or we wanna copy that, or we wanna take some of that, and then getting it so wrong uh, and then you be- you forge a sound
4: I think it's more like osmosis. Really. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, you steep, we steeped ourselves in a lot of that stuff we yeah. listened and listened and listened to sort of but I don't think we really tried to imitate. I think we just sort of then different things came yeah out.
5: we caught. Co- A sort of influence, but not in no way trying to actually copy it. You know, right. We had a
4: Jimmy Rogers obsession, you know, for quite a while. Well, and so. Hank
5: Williams, of course. And, and then like and music as well.
2: And and I think you guys can take credit. I know that my knowledge of country was very limited when I heard Fear and Whiskey, for example. And I went back and started listening to some of that stuff because of the Mekons And here's this band from overseas telling me about my the music that's right under my nose, and you know, finding out about that music that way. what are we going to hear next yeah we need another song boys
4: um going all the way back to something that can't be promoted uh, <laughs> this beat beating them one? broken yeah one, two, three, two, three. <laughs>
1: The person I spent the night with Just looked at me inside and I caught a train to Sheffield but in my mind I was already in hell I betrayed a friend Beaten and broken to the end Me, I just rolled over and
5: died. Thinking about the things that I've done
1: Well, you know, they don't better be repeated Cause I live them in a haze of disgust well, i got a change to Sheffield But well, if my mind is already in hell I'll We dip in the pockets of love. When well, I got a train to Sheffield, but in my mind.
2: I've been speaking with the Mekons on Sound Opinions. We can't thank John, Tom, and Lou enough for coming in. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you, you very much. much.
6: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
3: That wraps up our time with the Mekons, but you can visit soundopinions.org for exclusive video footage of these live performances. Do you have a story about the Mekons or an opinion you want to share? Call 888-859-1800 and leave us a message. Or connect with us on Twitter and Facebook. When we come back, we review the latest from singer Dawn Richard. And Greg, you've got a song you can't live without for the Desert Island Jukebox, right?
2: Yeah, Jim, I'm going to play an artist that has influenced both Pete
3: Townsend and Randy Newman. Good stuff. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He is Greg Cott, and that is a track called Love Under Lights from the new album Redemption by Dawn Richard. This is the fourth solo album of her career, Greg, but she's had an interesting uh, pre-career before she struck out on her own. She is born... Dawn Angelique. Her dad is named Frank Richard. He's a rather famous percussionist and vocalist in New Orleans. His daughter goes to the University of New Orleans and starts out working as a cheerleader for the New Orleans Hornets. She winds up as part of a pop group, I would say a, a second tier Destiny's Child in the mid-2000s, Danity Kane. We show, it. We show,
1: show,
3: Uh, They put out two albums that sell a fair amount, uh, are not particularly well-remembered. Dawn goes off and then does some time with Diddy, uh, a short-lived supergroup Daddy Diddy Dirty Money. I know you were a big fan. All right, I'm I'm kind of sneering here because none of this would lead you to expect an interesting solo career, but she is now on album number four. It is the last album of a trilogy, and she had some very ambitious goals here. She said she wanted to make a record that is uh, for everybody, every gay, every fluid, every black, every white. Has she succeeded? We'll play a track, and then we'll come back and give our reviews. This is a song called "L.A." It's got an interesting guest uh, artist here. Trombone Shorty has been uh, a performer here on Sound Opinions. "L.A." by Dawn Richard from the album "Redemption" on Sound Opinions.
1: Lemonade
2: That is LA from the new Don Richard album Redemption. Uh, Jim, that uh, song speaks very eloquently to the ambition in this record. It's a uh, sweet. Uh, like track, uh, it starts out with this electronic groove, and then you've got this big guitar solo that seems seems yeah. imported from the 70s, and then you've got this great uh, trumpet coda by a mm-hmm. trombone Shorty at the end of the song. So she's threading together all these different musical styles, um, soundscapes as much as songs. Uh, this whole idea of dance music uh, being morphed into protest music. Uh, She's very ambitious in her approach. If you know her only from Danity Kane, boy, have you got an education (laughs) ahead of you. It it, it truly is a different take. You know, this Afrofuturism, this idea of, you know, take me to a better place. uh, This notion of speaking up for the rebels, the people who are the outcasts, the misfits. If you are a certain color, if you're a certain gender or sexual orientation in this country, uh, she's speaking up for those people who don't have a voice. Uh, You know, the fact that she's from uh, Creole and Haitian descent. Uh, you know New Orleans is an open city, but she grew up amid a lot of, a lot of prejudice there as well and and fusing these thoughts uh, into uh, music that is not conventional by any sense of the word um, finally concluding with this whole notion of running away with me the open dreams or rebels are the majority and my color isn't minority. So there's also a sense of escape, but there's also a sense of you know when will this occur? When when will we be able to realize an open and more conciliatory? society it's not doesn't seem to be in my future it's a beautiful record uh, a surprising record uh, the trilogy is is great music and this is a, a buy it record for me
3: i agree greg it is a buy it and i wouldn't have thought i'd ever say that uh, about don richard i had to go back and appreciate the earlier two installments of the trilogy she's created something uh, really exciting, but this is the place to start. I think Redemption is the strongest of these three records. She has gotten most comfortable with this sort of introspective, laid-back uh, mix of psychedelia, EDM, even a little bit of indie rock. This is something we're hearing from other artists at a tempo that's similar. Uh, the Weakened and uh, Solange, I think, uh, are very similar right now. You said that it's interesting to hear that dance music can be political again after a long time of it not being so. Uh, I also think it's interesting that, uh, that dance music, electronic dance music can be uh, so introspective she is uh, considering her place in the world, she's considering the state of the universe, mm-hmm. there's some spirituality here, uh, you know, she's looking for love, but she's also uh, taking stock of, of, of her career and her life, uh, I think having had that weird pop past she's happy where she is now and she's taking real artistic chances, so an enthusiastic double by it <laughs>
2: you little buddy, this whole island is
3: bewitched. Just to cast away,
1: island lost at sea, oh. Now I'm stranded on my own. Stranded far from home. Come on. you remember? We were shipwrecked together. Stranded, I'm so far from home. Stranded, yeah, I'm on my own.
3: As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us takes a trip to the desert island, pops a quarter in the jukebox, and plays you a
2: song we can't live without. Greg, it's your pick. What do you got? Jim, I wanted to acknowledge uh, in greater uh, depth uh, Mose Allison. We sort of briefly touched on the fact that Mose died on November 15th at age 89. I mean, it has been a horrible year from a standpoint of uh, legends dying uh, one after another, and Uh, almost too many to keep up with, right? Uh, Mose was certainly among those legends, and I feel he deserved a little bit more than we were able to give him at the time. Uh, One of my favorite artists, but forget about that. I mean, the influence that he had on uh, popular music over the last 40 years cannot be overestimated. He is one of those artists who um, was steeped in blues, grew up in Mississippi, but also uh, was a great jazz piano player. He would sing these very Mm -hmm. relaxed, drawling vocals over his swinging, bluesy piano. And his style of music really caught the ear of a lot of musicians in the UK. Here's this southern-born artist in America making music in the 50s that was blowing the minds of a young Pete Townsend and a young John Mayall, uh, people like that, uh, Georgie Fame. Uh, Georgie Fame and, and Mayall both recorded versions of uh, a Mose Allison song called Parchment Farm, which is actually a big dance number in the U.K. in, in the <laughs> early 60s. Uh, but the other thing about um, uh, Mose that I think Pete Townsend picked up, and certainly Randy Newman, who uh, cannot be heard uh, you know, without referencing Mose Allison, is the humor and the satire. There was social satire in in Moses' music, so when you listen to a music uh, piece of music like Parchment Farm, sitting over here in Parchment Farm, the place is loaded with rustic charm. Mm. I mean, he's talking about a Mississippi prison, right. you know, and he's basically the, the the sarcasm is just dripping off that drawl. When he sang a song like Young Man's Blues, which The Who covered on the Live Ma- Live at Leeds record, um, in bombastic fashion. Yeah. Um, They were channeling that sense of, you know, a a young man has a place in this society. You don't know it yet, but I'm going to make you aware of my existence in in a matter of minutes. And Mose was saying it in much more subtle style when he recorded the song originally in the 50s. So it's instructive to hear what Mose did with that song first that made Pete Townsend's ears prick up. Here is Young Man Blues from Mose Allison on Sound Opinions.
6: Oh, well, a young man. Ain't nothing in this world these days I said a young man Ain't nothing in this world these days In the old days When a young man was a strong man All the people stand back When a young man walked by But nowadays the old man got all the money and a young man ain't nothing in this world these days
3: Young Man's Blues by Mose Allison on Sound Opinions. I will take that version over the Who's bombastic version any day. Greg, a good desert island jukebox
2: pick. What do we have on the show next week? Well, Jim, just for the record, I like them both, uh, but they're very no. different. There's no doubt no, yeah, about wait. it. We got to have our fight again <laughs> about
3: Entwistle and Moon being the most overrated
2: team in in history. But, uh, but what's what's on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to take a look at some of our favorite songs of 2016 with our annual mixtape show. Greg, we have some
3: thank yous to say. Uh, Andrew Gill and Mary Gaffney helped us with the Mekons. And, of course, Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Manizac, Evan Chung, and Alex Claiborne.
2: On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. Hey, Sound Opinions. This is Adam from Chicago, Illinois. I'm originally from Duluth, Minnesota, and I'm listening to your Christmas show right now. And um, you said to call in with some maybe uh, forgotten or neglected Christmas songs. There's a song um, that's kind of based around Duluth, Minnesota. Um, it's called Christmas City. It was written um, by a guy named Don Peterson who was friends at the time with Merv Griffin before um, he became the successful multimedia TV personality guy that he was, recorded the vocals for it. They played every year around Christmas time in Duluth, but I feel like it's kind of a neat little Christmas song all about Duluth, Minnesota, which is a place that I... Love a whole bunch. Hope you guys give it a listen. Merry Christmas.
3: Christmas City,
7: gotta stay
1: happy, make a smile ball. That's the kind of throw. Christmas City, wonderful city. Come this Christmas to the Christmas City. Let's go.
7: I Hi,
2: my name is Anthony Austin. I'm calling from Mount Prospect. Illinois, and um, my favorite holiday song of all time
3: is The Stooges' I Want to Be Your Dog from their 1969 debut. I
0: love the bells in that song. It just sounds like Christmas because I don't like Christmas songs
5: at all except that one. Thanks for doing this, guys. Bye-bye.
7: Hi, my name is Karen from Glen Ellen. I'd like to nominate a song for a Christmas song that should have been a huge hit, and that is Bert Bacharach's The Bell That Couldn't Jingle. A Christmas bell was crying, then Santa
1: heard it say, I just can't seem to jingle, and I can't go on the sleigh.
7: It is such an adorable song. I have to play it every year and uh, other people I've played it for agree that this is a great song and people should hear it more often. Hi.
2: Hi, my name is Eric from uh, Montreal, Quebec. I'm calling to say my favorite holiday song is a song called December is for Cynics by The Matches.
7: And what I love about it is it's a great anti-Christmas song,
2: anti-commercialism, whatever. And there's also a line in it, uh, December is for critics. So I thought you guys would enjoy that. Cheers, happy holidays. My name is Scott from Gary, Indiana. And my favorite Christmas song is Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. Now I don't tell people this because it's generally an agreement Across the board that everyone hates the song Except for me But there's just something about the song that reminds me Of this special time of year It it just Doesn't feel like Christmas without hearing it And so I love it Just don't tell anybody I told you that
1: The mood is right The spirit's up We're here tonight And that's enough To be